a lot of links to all these key areas. All right. So I'll be doing the scripture reading as well. Today's scripture reading is from Jonah 4. Follow along on the screen above. This is the word of God. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That, th that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprung up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Amen. This is the word of God. Please give a warm welcome to Pastor Josh, who will be bringing the fire. Let's go. Thank you so much, Jack. All right. Let me just get situated real quick. My name is Josh once again, and I am one of the pastors here on staff. And so if this is your first week here at New Mercy, or if you're coming back for the first time in a while, I just want to welcome you. And, and I hope that as you're worshiping and as you're listening to the word, that you be refreshed and restored um, as we head into another week of work. Um, being at home with your kids or whatever that you do during the week, that we would be filled with his presence, amen. Um, I just want to say this, a quick shout out to our church. Um, man, it's just, this is an awesome season that we're in. Um, it's not the most ideal season, obviously, with Omicron and COVID and all that stuff, but um, I think it's really awesome and amazing to see just our church members stepping up at this time. And, uh, you know, like over here, you guys saw Pill J, Mark, and Jasmine leading, and, you know, they're up here in the front, but there's so many people in the background serving in all different ministries, and they're like, I'm not the well, I'm not the most welcoming person, but, you know, they know that there's a need in welcoming, so they're doing it, or they're like, I don't know anything about audio, but they're like, you know what, if the church has a need, I'm going to step up, and just, there's so many people that are stepping up right now at this time, and it's just, this is what church is about, right? This is a family, that when things get tough, when things get hard, we all rise to the occasion, and we all help each other out, and so I just want to say thank you for that. Well, we are one month in, into 2022, and as we've been preaching, our theme for this year is the heart of God. And as we launch off our next phase and our vision over the next 10 years of reaching, serving, impacting 10,000 people, we decided that we need to go back to the heartbeat. We need to go back to the foundation of our church and what it means to be a church for the broken. And so rather than starting off with strategies on evangelism, plans of how to reach a region or cities, we felt that there is no other better place to start than going back to the very heart of God. 
to rediscover what makes God's heart break. What brings God's heart joy? Why is our God identified as a God of the broken? And what are the longings of God's heart? And so for the first three weeks, we've been journeying to answer those questions. And two things that we've been rediscovering about God's heart is that, number one, God's heart is so full of compassion, amen? And number two, God's heart is on a mission. Well, today is the fourth and last week through the book of Jonah, and I'll be closing out this collection of talks with a message titled, Nothing Has Changed. Nothing has changed, and I believe God is going to speak to us. So would you pray with me right now? Lord, we thank you so much for our church and for our community in this season. God, my prayer is that as we're trying to reach and impact 10,000 people, uh, that we're not trying to grow into a big church, but we're trying to grow into a healthy church, and we want to make an impact for your kingdom. And so, God, as we take time in our week to pause in your presence, to worship, to hear the word of the Lord, God, we just thank you so much that your presence is always with us and that your presence is always for us. God, as we close out this book on the Old Testament minor prophet Jonah, would you speak to us on what is on your heart? We love you, we honor you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we've been studying this book of Jonah, and many of us have been on this journey, and so we are up to speed. But then there are some of us in this room, uh, maybe this is your first week here, and so you know, as we're talking about the story, you're kind of wondering, what's the story about? What's, what's going on? What's happening? Who is this guy named Jonah? So for some of us, this recap is, is kind of old news, but for others of us, we need to hear this recap, otherwise we will have no context for the truths that we'll discover together today. So I'm going to bring everyone up to speed with where we're at in Jonah, okay? Is that okay? All right? So the story begins, we find out that Jonah is a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. Jonah's name means dove. And he is the son of a Amittai. Amittai means faithfulness. One day, God comes and speaks to Jonah and says, Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach a message of repentance. The problem is, is that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? Because Nineveh is his enemy. Nineveh are a barbaric people. Nineveh are a violent people. Ninevites are uh, oppressive people. And so Jonah tells God, no, God, I don't actually want to go to Nineveh. And so he gets on a boat, and he heads 2,500 miles in the opposite direction to Tarshish, which is modern-day Spain. And Jonah's like, God, I don't want to go. I'm out of here. But God says to Jonah, you can run, and you can't, but you can't hide. Because God chases Jonah down. Right? Why? Because grace will chase you down. Amen? Grace will track you down. So God sends a storm and wakes Jonah up on a boat. And Jonah wakes up from the boat and he's like, oh my gosh, this storm is because of me because I'm running away from God. And the sailors on the boat, they're freaking out. They're like, what do we do with you? And Jonah tells them, you better throw me overboard. But these sailors, they're not God-fearing people, but they're not bad people, right? And so they still have a conscience. They're like, no, Jonah, we can't can't ever do that to you. But the storm gets worse and worse and worse, and eventually the sailors have no choice, and they throw Jonah overboard. Chapter 2, Jonah hits the water. Jonah thinks he's going to die, but praise God, God sends a fish, and a big fish swallows Jonah up whole. And Jonah's in the belly of a fish, and he's crying out and praying out to God and saying, God, I'm so sorry. I ought to praise you. And God, in his grace, God, in his passion, causes the fish to 
to throw Jonah back up, and Jonah is spewed up onto dry land. Jonah chapter 3 says that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Why? Because God is a God of second chances. Amen? God is a God of second chances. And so Jonah marches into Nineveh. He preaches the message of repentance. A great revival takes place. People are getting radically saved. People are fasting and repenting, and people encounter the fire of God. And this is where our story picks up in Jonah chapter 4. Thank you. Jonah has just finally finished obeying God. And the fruit of his obedience is that an entire city gets radically saved. I mean, historians say this is one of the greatest revivals to take place on the earth. And Jonah, a disobedient and a reluctant prophet, was still a part of it. However, the story of Jonah is so amazing because as we've seen in the first three chapters, the story always takes an unexpected turn. I mean, if it were to up to us and we were writing this story, most of us in this room being smart people, we would have ended the story right here at chapter 3, right? Yay, revival. Yay, amazing move of God. I mean, if I'm preaching this on a last night at a youth retreat, I'm closing out the last night of the retreat with Jonah chapter 3, and I'm telling the kids, even if you delay, even if you disobey, God can still speak to you, God can still work through you, and God can still use you. That's a great ending, right? The problem is, is that this isn't our book, but this is God's book. It's not our book, it's God's book. And God lets us into Jonah chapter 4, and we discover something about Jonah. You see, the unexpected turn that takes place is that Jonah has just been used by God in a mighty and powerful way. You would think that Jonah would be joyful. You would think that Jonah would be happy, but that's not the case. On the contrary, Jonah is angry and upset. Not just at the Ninevites, but he's actually angry and upset at God, just like as he was in Jonah chapter 1. I mean, you think that after everything Jonah went through, being a recipient of God's compassion and mercy himself, he would have changed and understood God's heart. But nope. What do we find out? Jonah missed God's heart all along. He's still the same. He's still narrow-minded, self-sufficient, self-centered. Nothing had changed with Jonah. Now, the punchline of this chapter is, that it is, is when out of Jonah's own mouth, he ironically says what? He says, God, I knew this was going to happen. God, I knew it. I knew it. I knew we were going to forgive the Ninevites because you are compassionate. And what we realize is that Jonah's heart isn't the only thing that hasn't changed. God is still the same too. Nothing has changed with God. I believe Jonah missed God's heart because he failed to understand that God has not changed in three ways. And I believe that these three truths will help us not only know God's heart better, but to actually live out and embody God's heart better personally and corporately. So the first thing that Jonah fails to realize is that God's mission has not changed. God's mission has not changed. Read with me verse 1 through 2 again. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Here's Jonah acknowledging who God is. 
But after having discovered that Jonah hasn't changed much after all, we know that Jonah knows about God, but he doesn't actually know him. There's a difference, right? For example, it's like me saying, I know about LeBron James, a basketball player, right? He's, a, he's, he's one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Six foot nine, 250 pounds, born and raised in Akron, Ohio. But I don't personally know LeBron, right? I don't personally know him. And in the same way, as we journey to rediscover the heart of God this year, we have to ask ourselves that very same question. Do I just know about God or do I personally know him? If we know God, then we'll discover that we can surrender and trust him through all of our storms, through all of our challenges, and through all of our difficulties. But if we just know about God, we'll be offended by everything that God isn't doing in our lives. We'll be offended that everything isn't going my way. And that's what happened with Jonah, right? Because he didn't know God's heart. He was so offended that God had acted outside of what he knew about God. That God would act on behalf of a barbaric, wicked, and evil people group like the Ninevites. How could he intervene for them? How could he dare to show mercy and compassion to them? But if we were to take a step back and see the overview of God's story, of the grander picture of the meta-narrative, we realize that God's grace compassion, slowness to anger, and love isn't just for Jonah and their Israelites, all right? So I want to show this picture up above, right? We're going to look at the overview of God's story. We begin in Genesis 1 and 2. God created all the creation, and he creates us, and we are created in his image. And he declares in Genesis 1 and 2 that all is good. Everything is delightful. There's perfect relationship between God and man, man to man, man with himself, man and creation. Michael Goheen, he says this, that the best word to describe the beginning of creation is shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, which means the rich, integrated, relational wholeness God intends for his creation. In the beginning of God's story, things are the way they ought to be. There's wholeness, there's peace. This is what we long for. This is what we hope to see in the world. And so the beginning of God's story starts off with creation. But then we get to Genesis chapter 3 and things start to go wrong. Satan, God's enemy and our enemy, steps out onto the scene and he tempts Adam and Eve to rebel and disobey God. And through their disobedience, through their rebellion, all of humanity experiences brokenness, sickness, death, and condemnation. There's a breakdown on all relationships, on all fronts, the most important being a separation between us and God. And from that moment on, all of creation and every aspect of human life has now been corrupted and distorted by sin. Wars, racism, broken families, shame, fear, sickness. And we call this part of the story the fall. Now, while the story could have ended there, we see that God refuses to give up on creation and all of humanity. Michael Goheen says this, after human rebellion corrupted it, God set out to restore the whole world. While justly angry, God did not turn away from a world bent on destruction, but turned his face to it in love. With patience and tender care, the Lord set out on a long road of redemption. I love that phrase. God set out on a long road of redemption or has been on a mission to reclaim the lost as his people and the world as his kingdom. 
eventually God sends his one and only son, Jesus, to us. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus' blood paid for our sins. Jesus' blood bought us out of slavery under Satan. And Jesus' blood rejoined us back into the family of God. And so we call this part of God's story or this part of the meta-narrative redemption. And from that moment on of Jesus' resurrection, all of history, all of creation, all of humanity has been headed in one direction towards a final destination without slowing down. And it's headed towards this thing called a new creation where everything will be restored back to its original goodness. Everything will be made new. And what we see in Revelation 21 is a final consummation, a final picture of it, right? This is Apostle John speaking in Revelation 21 where he gets this glimpse of new creation. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, Jesus. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is, this is God's story. This is the meta-narrative. Creation, fall, and restoration. Now, why is this meta-narrative? Why is this big story important for Jonah, important for the Ninevites, important for you and me here today? Well, first, it gives us hope for the present, knowing how the story ends, knowing where we're headed in the future. That no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in your personal life, right? Division in politics, instability in the economy, social injustices, rumors of war, right? Gender and sexual confusion. We don't have to give into the angst and the hopelessness around us. Instead, because we know God's story, we can be anchored in the hope that the world is getting better and better. Amen. We are one step closer and closer to Revelation 21. And our hope is that God has been and still is active in our life and in the world today. Amen. The second thing why this is important is because we see that God has been gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love all along. God's heart has not changed one bit. And if his heart hasn't changed, then his mission to make all things new hasn't changed as well. What we see is that from the beginning in Genesis, all the way throughout history, in our lives, all the way to the end in Revelations, what we see is that God has been on a mission. God has been on a long road of redemption to redeem humanity and to restore all of creation. You see, Jonah's idea of God's heart was too small and limited. God's heart isn't just for the Israelites, but it's been for all humanity to restore every brokenness. God's heart isn't just limited to Jonah's storyline, but what we see is that God's heart has been on a mission all throughout history into eternity till the end of time. That's the scope of God's heart. This is the story that God is writing. Well, how does our life, how does our life fit into God's story? How does our life play a role in this meta-narrative? I love what Ian e. Bounds says, and he says this quote, that God's plan is to make much of man, 
far more of him than anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men and women of prayer. Men and women mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men and women. He does not come on machinery, but on men and women. He does not anoint plans, but men and women of prayer. The second thing that Jonah fails to realize is that not only has God's mission not changed, but God's method has not changed either. His method has been all along to use broken men and women to restore others and to advance his kingdom. We see this in scripture, right? We, in theologians, we, they call it the Missio Dei, which stands for the mission of God. And we see this progression of how God sends Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and includes us onto this grand mission into this great story. So first of all, First off, we see in the Missio Dei, in the mission of God, God sends, God the Father sends Jesus, his son. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But it doesn't just stop there. Jesus then sends us the Holy Spirit to us. Um, John 20, 21 to 22, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And from that moment on, this is where we get included. This is where we get grafted into the storyline and where the Holy Spirit sends us out on a mission to join in on God's mission to restore the world. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And what? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Our personal stories are part of God's big story. We are part of this storyline, of this great, grand mission. Recently, I started watching uh, Loki on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I'm, I'm late to the game. I know this show came out um, last summer and stuff like that. But for those who don't know, um, it's, you know it's, it's part of the Marvel Avengers world. Loki is Thor's brother. If you don't know anything about Marvel and Avengers, Thor is uh, Chris Hemsworth, the, thunder, the god of thunder and lightning with the hammer, you know. Uh, but this story is about his brother, Loki. Um, and if you don't know anything about Marvel just right now, they've just been really exploring this idea of the multiverse, right? Different timelines, alternate universes, alternate characters in different timelines and universes and universes and in the show Loki's introduced to this organization called the TVA which stands for Time Variance Authority and what we come to find out is that all along there's this sacred timeline that's been flowing from the beginning of time all the way to the end of time and everyone's life everyone's personal timeline is actually connected to this bigger sacred timeline now it's the TVA's job to protect the sacred timeline because Every now and then, someone will act outside of what they're supposed to do with their life, and they'll actually branch out. There's a picture up there, right? There's a sacred timeline, and every now and then, someone will act outside of their life, and they're identified as a variant. And as their life branches out from the sacred timeline, it causes disruptions, it causes new timelines, and potentially it creates alternate universes. And so the TVA, they chase down these variants through time, and what they do is they prune someone, which means to basically remove them 
existentially from all timelines and all universes so that ultimately the sacred timeline is protected. Now, as I'm watching this, I'm like, wow, isn't that so similar to God's story and God's timeline and his heart and his mission? Just obviously in the opposite way, of course, right? Where our personal lives are connected to God's sacred timeline. It's connected to God's mission. And every now and then, we decide to rebel and disobey God, wanting to live our own stories and run away. But God, in his grace and his mission, he chases us down, not to prune and remove us, but to include us, to graft us in back into his sacred timeline and mission. Whether we realize it or not, our lives are connected to God's story. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you do. God can use a reluctant prophet like Jonah, and as Pastor Hudson shared last week, God can even use a wicked people like the Ninevites as he did with the church, as he built up the church of the east through them. And because our lives are part of something bigger than ourselves, in the famous words of Loki in the show, we have been burdened with a glorious purpose. Not to rule, right? Not to create our own timelines apart from God, but to serve to reach, to impact others by co-partnering with God on his great mission. We all have a part to play in our own unique ways to advance the kingdom of God. Amen? So because the mission hasn't changed, because the method hasn't changed, the question for us isn't whether we're going to join in on God's mission or not. God will chase us down and include us back into his mission. The question for us is how will we join in on God's mission? How will we join in on God's mission? In the beginning of this chapter, Jonah is pouting and he's angry at God when he was just used by God in a powerful way. And it's strange because if I were talking to Jonah, I would tell Jonah, bro, why are you so upset? Man, I wish I can save 120,000 people and their cats and their dogs and their cattle. Bro, why are you so upset? I'm like, man, do you know how hard it is to get five kids to respond to the altar call at a youth retreat? Do you know how hard it is to get five people in my church to say amen when I say something in a sermon? Bro, you just saved 120,000 people. Why are you so upset? You accomplished everything that God asked you to do. And the lesson and lesson and the warning for us as we join in on God's mission is that just like Jonah, we can easily do the will of God without the heart of God. We can easily do the will of God without the heart of God. And my prayer for our church is that we wouldn't be like Jonah where we just talk about grace, we talk about compassion, we talk about restoration, we talk about being understanding of people's brokenness as if it's some principle without actually living it out. No, my prayer is that we would grow more and more like Jesus, the true and better Jonah, who not only did the will of God, but he actually did it with the heart of God. It's not easy. It's challenging. I I completely understand. But I want to give you two perspective shifts that will help us grow to do God's will with God's heart, to help us join in on God's mission, right? The first thing is this, is we need to understand that God's interruptions are divine invitations. God's interruptions are divine invitations. When God invites us to be on his missions, many times it's going to feel like an it's going to feel like an interruption, right? We see it all throughout Jonah. The call, the storm, the fish, the unexpected repentance of the Ninevites. Even in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah is once again interrupted by God withering the plant. But God isn't just interrupting. 
but he's inviting Jonah to know his heart. If we are going to join in on God's mission, if we're going to the will of God with the heart of God, many of us, we need to change our perspective on how we view our life when it gets interrupted. I'll be the first to admit, I hate when my life is getting interrupted, right? For example, I had to ask my mom, and you know, like, just, I'm, I still live at home with my parents, and I still have to ask my mom, you know, what's for dinner tonight? And I had this, I had this idea set in my head, and then when she changes it up and I'm eating dinner, it's like, I hate, I just hate my, even that being interrupted, right? We hate being inconvenienced. But as we've seen how our lives are part of God's bigger story, we realize that every time that we disobey, every time that we delay, it isn't God interrupting our stories. No, we're interrupting his story. We're interrupting his mission. We're interrupting his heart to seek and save the lost. I mean, the pastoral staff, we've been recently talking about potentially adding one more service at our church in the future. And we're, some of us in this room, we're hearing that, and we're already, like, we're already inconvenienced, like myself included. We're like, ah, my Sundays are interrupted. I can't watch Sunday football because of another service. I can't take a nap after Sunday. Man, what an interruption. But it's not an interruption. It's an invitation to get the gospel out to more people, amen? Some of us, when you hear the three personal goals that we want every member to grow in this year, to pray, to invest, to serve, we're like, what an interruption to my life and to my plans for this year. I'm planning to go to Bahamas or something in the future. I don't want to go on missions, but it's not an interruption. It's an invitation to not just be a church attender, but to be a church builder. Others of us, this is the year for you to tithe consistently and even be generous beyond the 10% tithe that God is calling us to And it's not an interruption to your budget, but it's an invitation to sow and make an investment, not into earthly goods, but into his kingdom to be part of the story that God is telling. We see this so many times in the Bible, right, where it seems like God is interrupting people's lives. But it's actually an invitation to be on mission with him, to be part of something bigger than themselves. Abraham, Moses, Rahab. Mary, what an interruption to be pregnant at the age of 15 by the Holy Spirit, right? We even see it with Jesus. Jesus was constantly interrupted. Can you imagine that you're the son of God? Everyone knows that all the power of heaven is flowing in and through you. People are constantly pressing upon him with their needs, their sickness and demands. Yet Jesus never viewed anyone as an interruption. No, Jesus understood that this was an invitation to heal the sick, to cast the dead, to raise, to to cast out demons, not cast out the dead, cast out demons to raise the dead and reveal God's heart. What is it in your life that appears to be an interruption, but it just might be an invitation? This year, I feel like there's going to be many interruptions that come into our life and come our way. And I want to encourage you, it's not because you've done anything wrong per se, but I believe that God is going to try to grab our attention and make you aware that you're part of something bigger than your personal life. And if we're going to do God's will with God's heart, let's not interrupt God's story with our delay and our disobedience, but let's change our perspective to view those interruptions as invitations. Amen? The second thing that we need to shift our perspective is that we need to understand that God's mission isn't based on our selfish preference, but it's based on his sovereign plan. It's not based on our selfish preference, but it's based on his sovereign plans. Two times Jonah is upset at God in this chapter. 
Jonah first gets upset at God at the beginning of the chapter because God just showed compassion and mercy to the Ninevites. But the second time that he actually gets um, angry at God is the strange scene with this plant. Jonah, in his anger, he's sitting outside of the city in the Middle East desert with the scorching sun just, just on him. And God sees him, and God once again has compassion for Jonah, and he provides a shade for him by causing this plant to grow above him. There's not much that we actually know about the plant, but the Hebrew word for this plant is sukkah, and it's actually connected to one of the Hebrew festivals known as the Feast of Sukkoth, right? You can find it in Leviticus 23. And in this holy festival, God's people built themselves small booths made out of plants, made out of branches to celebrate how God delivered his people out of Egypt. And in their freedom, they lived in these small booths as they journeyed in the wilderness. Now, what they do during this feast of the Sukkoth is that the Torah will be read where God, in, in the Torah, where God reminds his people to show love to strangers seven times because you too once were strangers in the land of Egypt. Yeah, in this very moment, Jonah doesn't get the connection. And he neither remembers how God had rescued Israel and him, nor does he remember God's commandment to love others. And he's just happy to be comfortable once again as, things, as long as things go his way. But in a moment, God causes the plant to wither and die, and Jonah gets upset for the second time. And it's a strange, interesting scene, but the implication of the scene is that God is sovereign. God is the one in control. God is the one directing all things. He can cause a plant to grow. He can cause a plant to die. God can send a storm. God can even send a big fish. God can show compassion to Jonah, and God can even show compassion to a wicked people like the Ninevites. And in his sovereignty, God reminds Jonah that my story is bigger than your story, Jonah. My compassion and mission started way before you were even born and will continue long after you're gone because my mission isn't based on your selfish preference, but it's based on my sovereignty. And God uses this incident with the plant to point out to Jonah, Jonah, even after delivering my message to the Ninevites, oh, how you still missed my heart. Jonah, not only have you been not wanting to join my mission, you're not even willing to surrender your preferences and your ways after all of this. And so God afflicts Jonah with discomfort because he loves Jonah too much to allow him to remain the same. This is where Jesus is the true and better Jonah. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is in deep anguish. And in just about a few hours, Jesus will be arrested, he will be tried, he will face his death, and he will suffer a gruesome, gruesome death on the cross. And he's praying to God in this very last moment of his, of his life, and he tells God his preference. What does he say? He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering away from me. If you're willing, take this cup of suffering away from me. But Jesus knew better than Jonah that God's plan, God's mission, isn't based on his preferences, but on God's trust to sovereignty. And he finishes that prayer by saying what? Yet not my will, but your will be done. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And so what we see is that while Jonah is sitting outside the city, sitting comfortably under the shade, hoping that Nineveh will be destroyed, we see Jesus going outside the city of Jerusalem to die on the cross for the sake of other salvation. 
What is it in your life that's preventing you from joining in on God's mission because of your preferences? Is it your comfort? God, once I feel more comfortable. Is it when you are more available and you have more time? Is it when you hit a set certain net worth? God, then I'll start giving. And God, I'll, then I'll start joining on your mission. No, if we're going to do God's will with God's heart, we're going to have to surrender our preferences and our ways because God's mission simply isn't about us. Amen. And I say that in the most loving way. God's mission isn't about us. I'm going to ask uh, Mark to come up. I'm going to close out the sermon. You know, a couple, two years ago, around this time, actually, um, I was out in Sacramento, for those who don't know, and I was part of a leadership school there. And um, basically what my Sunday looked like was I, had a, I was also working part-time at a coffee shop. And so what my Sunday looked like is that I had to go into work at 6 a.m., and then basically I was on shift from 6 to 12. Then eventually I had to go to um, church at 1 p.m. And I would go to church. And part of the leadership school is that you are man- it was mandatory. It was required that you have to serve somewhere. And out of all the different places I could have served, I had to serve on uh, the church's hands and feet, their teardown. And so after service ends at 3 a.m., we're cleaning up a whole church of 1,000, 2,000 people. We had to clean up the whole church for an hour and a half. And so... My day ended at 4.30. Most of you guys know my story, but I didn't have a car back then, so biking and taking the train, I would get back home at 6, 6 to 6, okay? During January, the school is on break, and thank God they said, hey, you actually don't have to uh, do mandatory serving while you're on break, so you can relax, and I'm like thankful. And then out of the three weeks that we had break, finally one of those Sundays, I actually did not have to go into work. And so I'm excited. I'm like, wow, I finally get a whole Sunday to myself. And I'm like pumped. I had this whole idea planned out. I'm going to go to the 9 o'clock service since I don't have to go to the 1 o'clock service. You know what? I'm going to attend service and I'm going to come back home. And I'm just going to watch Sunday football for the rest of my day. Just straight. I'm going to watch all the games and just relax. And that's my day. What happened on that day, though, it arrived. And um, some, my coworkers needed something from work. And so I actually needed to stop by to work before I actually go to the 9 o'clock service. I'm dr- at this point, I actually have my car. So I actually was driving to work, and I'm thinking, yes, I'm going to drop this off, go to church, and I'm headed back home. But one mile away from work, all of a sudden, my car starts shaking. Next thing I know, my car is like stalling. Next thing I know, there's smoke coming out of the front of the hood. And I'm like, what is going on? And like, like I just can't. I can't like drive, like I have to drive every 10 seconds and stop, wait for the engine to cool, drive 10 seconds, stop, wait for the engine to cool, because I need to drop this thing off at work, okay? I was a mile away, it took me an hour to get back to, uh, to get to my workplace, okay? And I'm just frustrated, I'm like, man, how much is, is this gonna cost? I eventually get to work, drop off whatever I need to, and I call AAA, and I call AAA, and the guy's like, um, you know, he's kind of like rude on the phone, and he's like, uh, like blah, 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 whatever, and I'm like, all right, like how long will it take to get here? And he's like, I'll be there in 15 minutes. I'm like, oh, 15 minutes, not bad, I can still make it to church. 15 minutes passes by, no one comes. 30 minutes passes by, no one comes. This guy comes back an hour and 15 minutes than when he said he was going to come. And I'm, at this point, I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed because I missed my 9 o'clock service. And, you know, I would think that he's going to be apologetic when he, when he shows up. But he's, like, angry and upset at me. And I'm like, bro, why are you angry and upset at me? And he's, like, in a bad mood, right? And I'm like, man, this is, this is going to be painful. But I just felt God speak to me at that moment. He says, Josh, I want you to reveal my heart to him. I'm like, all right, God. All right, fine, fine, fine. So I go to the coffee shop, 
and I ask him, hey, like, what do you want? I'll get you something while you're loading up my car. He's like, oh, can I get a vanilla latte? I'm like, sure, I'll get you a vanilla latte. I get him a vanilla latte, bring it to him. As soon as I bring it to him, you know, his expression changes a little bit, and I can tell he's, like, warming up. Um, and at this point, I'm, like, frustrated, and I'm just like, oh, God, how much is this going to cost? God, I, like, what am I going to do? My car's, who knows? Maybe I'm not going to have a car again. Um, and I'm just thinking, I'm going to get to this, I'm going to get inside this truck with him. 30-minute ride, hopefully just no small talk, no conversation. I'm not in the mood for it. I get in the truck, and you know, the universal sign up, please don't interrupt me. I put on my headphones. I put on my headphones, and I just feel God tugging on my heart. Oh, you're going to minister to him. And I'm like, God, it's my day off today. God, it's my day off. I don't have time to minister to him. And I'm just hoping, like, oh, man, he was in a bad mood already. He sees me with the earphones. Hopefully he won't talk to me. But lo and behold... Even if I wanted to be disobedient, God would have left me off the hook. And this guy starts talking to me. Hey, where are you from? And we just start talking back and forth. And I'm like frustrated as we're doing the small talk. But after a certain point, three minutes in, I'm just like, all right, God, I give up. You won, you won. I take off my headphones. And we're just having this conversation. And we're driving and we're having this conversation. And um, somehow we're talking about all these different things. And then eventually we talk about religion and we talk about the church. And I find out his story. He grew up in the church and um, he just had a bad experience, grew up in a really religious, bad situation, shameful situation, context and stuff like that. And he's going on and on and on about all the issues of church, why he hates it, and on and on and on. And I'm just listening there, right? I'm just listening. And then after he finishes, he's like, hey, so what do you do for work? Uh, I'm a pastor. (laughs) Two minutes of awkward silence in the car, right? And he's just like, oh, shoot, what did I just do? And, you know, it's just, we just passed it on, and we're just talking and conversing. Um, and, you know, it just, he, after seeing how I reacted, I think he felt comfortable. And then he started asking about, man, how did you become a pastor? Hey, I have some questions about God. Um, you know, he starts opening about his life, and he starts sharing about how he got into a divorce recently. He has this kid, and uh, he's just sharing his life. And he's just like, man, his life's just been so hard. I'm sleeping on this couch, whatever, and all that stuff. And I'm just listening, and I'm just being there for him. Eventually, we just have this connection. He drops off the car at my house, and, um, you know, I really felt God was telling me, hey, I want you to pray for him. Ask him if there's anything he needs healing about, right? So we get out of the car, and I'm like, thank you so much. And he's about to leave. I'm like, hey, you know, you know I'm a pastor, so I don't have to, you know, do any of the weird stuff. You already know. But, hey, I just felt like God was saying, um, you know, he wanted me to pray for you. Is there anything that I could pray for you about? And he's like, yo, my back's been hurting so much. I've been sleeping on this couch. And um, if you can pray for me for that, I would love to pray. For, uh, you can pray for me. And I'm like, yeah, sure, man. I lo- like, I would love to pray for you. And we've just prayed, nothing crazy. And it's, God did heal his back. It wasn't anything significant. It wasn't anything dramatic. But it was enough to know that he knew that something had just taken place, okay? So he knew that it just significantly got better at that moment. And at that moment, while I was praying for him, I also just shared God's heart. Man. You don't have to be ashamed of, of your divorce. You don't have to be ashamed of the situation you're in. Like, I just want to let you know God loves you. God is for you. God sees you. God knows exactly where you are in this moment. Your story is connected to his story. And I pray for him, and I, and I share, and we exchange numbers. I was like, hey, I want to invite you to my church. And I have this picture up here. It's just, I just take, sent him a text the following week, and I was like, hey, I would love for you to come to my church. And obviously, if you guys read the screen above, he couldn't make it that day because he was um, working. But that night, I was just laying in bed, and I was thinking, like, man, what an interruption my day was, right? What an inconvenience. It didn't go according to my preference. My day didn't go according to my day. But if things went my way, 
I would have missed out on being part of Aaron's story. If things went my way, I wouldn't have been able to be used by God in the smallest way to connect a love, a lost son back to his heavenly father. If I viewed this as an interruption, which is in a bad mood the entire time, I would have missed out on being part of God's story. I pray that as we grow in doing the will of God with the heart of God, that there will be more and more opportunities for us this year to be used by God because we understand that His interruptions are invitations and because we've surrendered our preferences to His sovereignty. Amen. Last thing. So God's mission has not changed and God's method has not changed. And the third and last thing that Jonah fails to realize is that God's mercy has not changed. In this ending, God and Jonah are having a debate about the unfairness of this plant withering. And Jonah is so improportionately offended. Is that a word, improportionately, unproportionately? You guys know what I'm trying to say. He's so offended and he should be. And God has Jonah right where he wants him. And God confronts Jonah about his offense over this plant's death. And God says to him, I'm paraphrasing, he says, Jonah, how can you be so passionate about something that you had neither labor for nor cared for? Your attachment to this plant, it, it couldn't have been that deep because it was literally here just for a day. You only cared about this plant because it served your self-interest. It served your comfort. But Jonah, you see all of those 120,000 people there in that great city? All those animals, I made them. I have cherished them over all these years, and they mean the world to me. Your pain over that plant is nothing compared to mine when I contemplate their destruction. You don't want me to have compassion on the, Ninev on the Ninevites, but shouldn't I? It's my nature. I can't deny who I am. My mercy has not changed. My compassion has not changed after all these years. And in light of all that I've shown you, Jonah, should I not love this city? And should you not also join me? And the story surprisingly ends abruptly. It ends ambiguously. The story ends unfinished. We actually never get to hear Jonah's response. And Tim Keller says this, the book remains unfinished so that we may provide our own conclusion. For you are Jonah, and I am Jonah. It's as if God shoots this arrow of a question at Jonah, but Jonah disappears, and we realize that the arrow is aimed at us. How will you answer? Can we all rise at this moment? makes our God so amazing is that our God is so full of compassion but it's not compassion as how some people in the world would define it where man I just feel so bad for you it's not pity it's not empathy but God's compassion is so deep that it moves his heart to be on a mission on a long road of redemption to actually help to actually restore to actually heal to actually deliver you from the belly of the fish to be on mission with him. You know, this, this, you know, surprisingly, this whole thing with mission, outreach, 
getting outside of the four walls of our church, it isn't just for our church. Surprisingly, if you listen to a lot of different sermons and hear other different churches' mission sta- vision statement as they've retweaked theirs over the, over the course of the pandemic, everyone realizes that church has been off somewhat. Every church has realized that they've been insular for so long and this pandemic was a reset for everyone across the board to realize we've actually not been on mission with God. We've actually not missed been a part of what he's been doing. And so I love where we're going for the next 10 years. We're reaching, we're serving, we're impacting 10,000 people, not because we just want to do good things and feel good about ourselves, but because this has been on God's heart from the beginning of Genesis and will be till the end of time. Amen. So at this time, just wherever you're at, I just want us to just take some time to pray. And in your own words, in your prayer, if you guys can lift your voices, just say, just say it out loud. But maybe some of you guys, you guys have preferences that you need to surrender. Maybe for some of you guys, there's so many interruptions. You're like, God, why is my life being in? Can I just say this? God is inviting us to be on a mission. And if you would just say yes to his mission, if you would just say yes to his call, everything that you've been longing for, everything that you've been yearning for in your life will find the ultimate purpose and fulfillment in him. So at this time, for the next 30 seconds, let's just give our yes to God. Whatever God's pressing on your heart, whatever God's telling you to lay down, just start doing it and lift up your voices right now. So God, we just thank you so much for your glory. We thank you so much for this word of Jonah 4. And we ask, Lord, right now, God, through the Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and just convict our hearts, God. Anything that's preventing us from joining our mission, our preferences, a few things that's interruptions, God, we just lay down. God, we want to say yes to your call. We want to say yes to your God, I'm imperfect. God, I have issues. God, my life is not ready. My life is full of brokenness. But knowing who you are, you can even use the most broken things. You can use the most imperfect things. You can use the most shameful things. So right across this room right now, God, I pray that the conviction level would rise. The conviction level.